Um, good morning. I am, uh, my name is Steve Shoup. I am a missionary. I have been for a long time. You guys have been faithful supporters of us. Um, we used to be the youth pastors over at Wenatchee First, and that's kind of how uh, the Grams and I kind of connected was, what's that? We had? We'd met before that, but really got to know them in Wenatchee because we, whenever we would come home, whenever we'd hang out, that was, that was what, you know, that was our home church where we landed. We don't call it home now. We actually live over in Spokane. Um, the first week of COVID, we made a decision um, that I'd been working on for about three years, maybe four. Um, I'd been talking to my bosses, my authorities. I'd, we, we run a program, we call it Engage. We take high school graduates, put them in a missional environment while they work on their college degree. Here is, <laughs> I, I, I'm, it's where I believe, and I don't know if everybody agrees with me, obviously not everybody does, or culture would look different, but I honestly believe that the best thing that we could do for our young people is to create a culture where every student graduates from high school and says, Jesus, you get the first year of my adult life. I just, I, I find chapter and verse on it. You're going to hear a little bit about that this morning. I, it seems like that's where Jesus would point us, but we don't live in that world. I mean, there are some religions that live in that world. They wear black pants, white shirt, little black badge, build big buildings out by the freeway. And they keep about 75% of their young people. In our church, in the evangelical church, in the Pentecostal church, we lose about 75% of our children when they graduate from high school. They walk away from Jesus. Now... 64, 65% come back in their mid-30s, but they come back broken and bruised, and they spend the rest of their life trying to fix what they destroyed in those 15 years that they were gone. <laughs> I don't know why that um, is emotional to me, but it hurts my heart to think that all we would have had to done as a church is say, God has a plan for your life that is bigger and better than sports, bigger and better than a job, bigger and better than anything you can dream or imagine. Would you give God a year? Make him your priority right out of school. We preach it in children's church. They're down over back someplace being told that right now. I know Pastor Gregory um, says that in his youth service. We spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions literally, of dollars in the church, big capital C church, telling children and teenagers that thought that God is the most important thing in their life. But yet, for some reason, they'll graduate from high school and we go, good luck. And I just think, what would it look like if as a church, capital C church, what if... What if we were to challenge them to say, if God is the most important thing in your life, why not, well, you can, 
Because at some point, you're going to have to make a decision. Are you going to be a full-time career missionary, pastor, church leader? Or are you going to be a, a well-discipled disciple maker in the local church, but you're going to do it as an accountant, a farmer, a businessman, a teacher, or something else? They'll come. But 18, 19 years old, you could say, God, you get a year or two, and it's not going to disrupt your life whatsoever. Whatsoever. Did it disrupt your life? Nope. She gave two years or one? One year. And yet, she's still on the path that she wanted to be a nurse, and is a nurse, and, and probably has... I won't put words in your mouth, but I believe it maybe even enhanced your life. That's what I see. That's what I see in experience with students who will say, God, you get a year. Because we set precedent, and we say this is the most important thing. The beauty of saying to an 18, 19-year-old, will they, will they go, is that they can. At 18, 19 years old, what, you know, it's not you're, not, you're not married, you don't have a career, you may think you do, but it's not all of us older, more gray-haired people understand at 18, we didn't know what we were doing. We thought maybe, but we weren't. So let's help them put them on a path. Well, four years ago, I finally convinced um, our authorities, our, my bosses, that that was a good idea and that I felt like we were running up against a wall that for every five students we were recruiting, four were being stopped by parents going, nope, they need to get started with the American dream. Some of you are going to be highly offended with this statement, but I'm not sure Jesus really approves of the American dream. <laughs> 2.5 kids, uh, 4,000 square foot home, six-figure salary, retirement plan. I, I just don't, I can't find chapter and verse on those goals. They, they don't seem like his goals. Now, I'm not saying I don't love living in America. I love being an American. I, I, I have been in and out of this country more times than most of you, and um, there's not a time that I don't fly back into the United States, and I'm, I'm, I'm humming the Star Spangled Banner as I'm walking into customs. I love my country. But when I look at the, the purpose-driven country, that, you know, that American dream, I can't find chapter and verse to support it. What I find is die to self. What I find is put Jesus first, to love others more than I love myself, to love others more than my political view, to love others to the point that it costs me everything. That's my chapter and verse. I, that's what I find. And I, so when I look at that American dream thing going, oh, man, that's tough to, I don't know. So what would it look like if we challenged and changed and lived that way? Well, I asked, could we, could we create a culture? The only way I thought I could do it was maybe move back to my sending district, which is the Northwest um, District. We ended up in Spokane, and right now um, we're living in Spokane um, with my wife and three children. I'm living there. Um, my son just turned 17 on Monday which just boggles my mind, just hurts my heart, because I still remember him when I laid his head in my palm and his feet hit my elbow. And now he's this 
big strap and his favorite sport is weightlifting and his favorite thing every night is to see if he can beat dad up and it's to the point where I've quit trying and I remind him that I'm 65 you know <laughs> that he shouldn't hurt me that way um, he just got his driver's uh, license about a month ago and one of the hardest things I've ever seen or done in my life was stand in the driveway and watch him drive off by himself. Man, that was hard. I never expected that. Now it makes me appreciate my mom and dad who did it six times. I don't know. Maybe does it get easier? Because I have two other girls, one who is 10 and one who just turned eight last Thursday. You know what else happened on Thursday? I received my Medicaid card. I'm <laughs> just going, that was a big day. I got an eight-year-old daughter, and, and January 1, I can do Medicare. Man, my life's just been going crazy. I'm going so many dichotomies, but I keep coming back to, I know it's the right thing where I'm living, and we convinced them to come to Spokane. And well, at Spokane, um, we just knew we had to create a culture where we could go into churches and we could say, what if you dreamed about sending every student, not just, not just the called kids now. I'm, I'm a strong believer. There are a group of students, and I think we have wandered away from this, that are called, that God has called. And there's a difference between being called and purpose. Okay, I believe and I'll give you chapter and verse on it, is I believe that every, every person has a purpose. When we say yes to Jesus, we, have a, we, we, be, we, we are given a purpose, and that purpose can be found in Matthew 22 and Matthew 28. Matthew 22, Jesus speaking. Both of these times, it's Jesus speaking. It's not an apostle. It's not just a speaker. It's the big guy saying, this is it. Okay, so this is stuff you got to listen to. Jesus speaking, red letter, he says in Matthew 22, your purpose is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love others more than you love yourself. And then as he's getting ready to leave the planet, looking back at his disciples, he says he's speaking to them. He's ready to go. He's prepared. Big moment. I mean, he left heaven to come to earth. For, I think he'd probably be ready to go to heaven, right? But he says, he says this. He says, know this. I'll always be with you. Now, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And know that I'll always be with you. It's love God, your purpose. Love God, love others, make him known. That's our purpose. Everyone in this room, if you're a believer of Jesus Christ, your purpose in life is to love God, to love others, to make him known. Now, that doesn't mean you're called to be a pastor. It doesn't mean you're called to be a missionary. It doesn't, it, it, we, we, we have watered down the idea of call. And I think it's very specific. I think there's five callings to the, to, to, to the church, and, and we need to lean into that. There's a difference between call and purpose. All of us have purpose, so wherever you're planted, whether you're a farmer, whether you're a businessman, whether you're a teacher, whether you're an accountant, whatever you're doing in the world, your purpose is to love God, to love others, to make him known. Now, some of us, 
me included. I'm called to be a missionary, and I wrestle with sometimes pastor, but I think I'm a better missionary than I am a pastor. Um, Jeff, Jeff and Tiffany, they're pastors, although sister leans towards prophetic. Um, Am I right? Because she preached my message this morning. Did you? I'm just sitting. I told her afterwards, I go, did I send you my notes? Because what God was using her to speak reinforced where, where I'm going to go with this. But there's some called to be pastors, and they, they have a pastor's heart. They're gentle. They're kind. They're loving. They're, they, they guard their sheep. I have a tendency to be more missionary-minded, and, um, you know, if you want to come to me, for counseling, you're not going to enjoy my counseling uh, skills or behavior because I'm going to listen for, you know, when you say this is my problem, I'm going to just go, well, then stop doing that. You know, I'm not going li- to, I don't, get, I get frustrated after stop doing it. If that's the problem, stop. Why do you do it? Where a kind, loving person like Jeff is going to nurture you and, and help you walk through the stopping process. I have a tendency to be just stop. You know, that's just the difference between pastoral and missional is I tend to be, you know, this this kind of thing, very black and white and very driven that way. But that's the beauty of the church. There's five levels to this and and we can do it. But I think we need to encourage our young people in that. What if we were to encourage young people to to put the first thing they put on their list to take off this is what I'm I'm not going to do is to be called to serve the church. Instead of making it the last thing, okay, I can't do this, this, and this, so maybe I'm called. How many testimonies have you heard that from from different pastors going, well, I tried to do this, 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 and finally I listened to God? Have you, am I the only one that's heard that? I've heard it many times. But what if we created a culture where young people said, God, I will give you first shot at my life. Call me. Here am I. Use me. I think the world looks different. I think the world looks different. The world needs somebody to look different. The church can't keep looking like they do. We can't can't be a church of hate. We don't like them because they're not like us. We can't be a church that is all about ourselves, inclusive and exclusive or inclusive, or no, we'd be exclusive. We close the doors and we don't let people in because they don't look like, smell like, dress like us. That's not Jesus. That's not the church. That's not the model that the world needs to see. We need to be able to say to the sinner, therefore the grace of God go I. Because there's nobody in this room that hasn't been a sinner. We're just saved by grace. And our sin may look different than their sin, but sin is sin in the eyes of God. He doesn't differentiate, going, oh, that's way worse. Your sin, my sin, hung Jesus on that cross. And so, no better than any, pick the most wretched, vile sinner you can think of. And his sin... Her sin, my sin, hung Jesus on the cross. And he just says, love them, care about them. I was going to tell you, um, my wife, 
uh, Amy of 31 years is graduating in 10 days from the University of Arizona with her doctorate in nurse practitioning. I was going to tell you that because I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah. She'll be Dr. Amy. I can, I can, I can say I'm married to a doctor. I mean, that's just super cool. Um, it's already opening doors. She's done a medical mission about two weeks ago, flew down to Mexico and ran a, a clinic. And that's probably going to be a part of our, our ministry now, what that looks like, I'm not sure. But I'm excited for her. She's worked so hard. I was going to tell you that I have a 17-year-old son. I think I already did. I have a 10-year-old daughter who yesterday at our home church in Spokane um, had a solo in our Christmas program. Our 10-year-old daughter who we adopted when she was just about one year old um, out of a horrible situation. Her mom is still in prison. Her mom lived on the streets and drugs and alcohol. Um, and, and we did foster care and we got her. And I'm sitting there yesterday watching her sing her solo. And she looks just like her birth mom. And I'm watching her sing her solo and then participate in the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm just weeping in the back going, I, can I just tell you, it's not the easiest thing for a 65-year-old guy to have a 10-year-old daughter that only has two emotions. She's either bouncing off the top of the roof or she's on the floor in a screaming puddle. She has only two emotions, up or down. She's never in the middle. And that's hard on an old guy. I come home and I just want peace and quiet. And there's no peace. She wakes up in the morning talking. She talks all day long. She goes to bed at night talking. She talks in her sleep. It's, it's, it's a challenge. Yet I'm watching her yesterday, and I know that I know that I know that her world will be different because I loved God, and I loved others, and I'm making him known. I'm living my purpose. James tells us, how do we know true religion? You take care of widows and orphans. And I believe it. I think it's something the church can do and we can do well. Will it be easy? Can I just tell you? No, it won't be. It's hard. I have another daughter who just turned 10 on Thursday. And uh, Bella, Bella is uh, not her older sister, but also not far from her older sister. She enjoys chatting. Um, she's, she's more of a lover um, constantly um, wants hugs and kisses, even to the point where I'm going, no, just leave me alone, just get off of me, you know, that type of thing. But um, I hug them and kiss them because it will make a difference in their life. Sometimes I just want to be left alone. But they need to be loved because God put them in our hearts. God put them in our lives. We moved to Spokane from Springfield, Missouri. We were working out of headquarters, um, frustrated with the idea that, that four out of five students were being stopped by parents. I knew I had to change culture. I had to work with the Assembly of God leadership to convince them that the place to do this would be in my home church, in my home sending district, so that I didn't have to start building relationships over again. 
we landed at Valley Assembly, started attending church there, and um, about a year into it, the youth pastor left, went to Montana. And um, Pastor Kent asked me if I would serve on the search committee to find a, a, a new youth pastor. Three meetings in, I was frustrated because the people on the committee are looking for, you know, some hipster like Gregory and, uh, you know, cool, long hair, beard, all that kind of stuff. And I'm going, I like Gregory, but, but I don't think that's the, the, we can't just look at the outside. We got to look at what really makes Gregory the man of God he is. But they weren't worried about that stuff. They just wanted him to look cool. And so I wrote a paper to, a letter to the pastor, Pastor Kent, and I said, what if instead of looking for cool, what if we looked for Ephesians 4, equip the saints for the work of the ministry that they might mature? What if we looked for that guy that, that wanted to empower and encourage young people and, and change and transform their life? And uh, he offered me the job. <laughs> Going, uh, no. Two reasons. One is I'm 61. There's, you shouldn't have 61-year-old youth pastors. Um, and the other reason was I told him, I said, if I, if I become a youth pastor, then who does engage? Because I don't want a youth ministry that doesn't have the next step. That we can't, we've got to stop just letting our 18-year-olds our fall off the map because we don't have a process to move them to the next level of their walk with Jesus. And he go, and so he asked, I had about a day, I came up with this plan. What if, what if we take the last youth pastor's salary, we divide it up four ways, and, and you pay engage for my services, and we hire two young youth pastors and an, ad, a, an administrator, because I have a tendency to fly up here, and I, I sometimes miss details. Like all the time I miss details, so I said we need somebody to help me do that. But what if we did that, and what if we leaned into not just hype, but we leaned into hope? We leaned into purpose, that we, we begin to speak into young people's lives about a call on their life and a purpose in their life. It was why I left Springfield, as I wanted that opportunity to develop that culture. Never in my wildest dreams did I think I would actually have this opportunity in a church like Valley Assembly to work with a man like Kent Mankins who allows me to dream. But he said, yeah, let's do that. So three years ago, I became the youth pastor, um, executive youth pastor, Spokane Valley. I have two youth pastors that work with me, Maria and Cam and... <laughs> They are spectacular, spectacular, full of energy, all the things I'm not, they get to do. But I get to, I get to speak into students' lives about a future, about a purpose. And part of the reason I share that with you, to be honest, you're the first church I've ever laid this plan out to. Because I always am nervous that churches are going to go, oh, so you're a youth pastor, so you're not a missionary. I'm hoping to make that really clear. I'm still a missionary. But the what, what excites me most about this is this. The Northwest Ministry Network has a program called Called Collective, which is a group of called students who feel the call of God to be a missionary, pastor, prophet, or um, evangelist, one of the five full, right? 
There's 54 of them in the Northwest Ministry Network. 25 of them attend Valley Assembly. Why is that? Because they have a youth pastor that keeps going, God's got a bigger purpose for your life than basketball, volleyball, football, a a six-figure salary, whatever it is. Why not give God a chance? And you know what he continues to do? When they give him a chance, he calls them. We're part of a, a denomination that started in, in 1914 or 1918. I can't remember which it is. Do you remember, Jeff? 14. With the sole purpose of raising up churches that would send missionaries. That was why we started. That's, that's, the, that's the base of the assemblies of God, is to go into all the world. Yet we've lost our way. We live in a day and time in the assemblies of God where in the next year, 70% of the current missionaries serving will reach retirement age. I'm included in that. 70%. We serve, I serve in Latin America. That's my region that I'm assigned to. In that region alone, they believe they need about 750 new missionaries just to keep up with population growth in Latin America. That doesn't count Europe. That doesn't count Asia. That doesn't count Eurasia, China, India. And we're not growing that fast. Last October, for the first time ever in the history of the Assemblies of God, in Latin America, we didn't appoint even one general appointed missionary to go. Not one. The largest, the most populated city on the planet, Mexico City, we didn't send one missionary to go tell people about Jesus. I don't know about you, but that breaks my heart. How do we we just abandon those people? We just say, oh, no. But our church is going good. We've closed the doors and we like us. But that's not our DNA. Moms and dads, your kids are called to go. Grandmas and grandpas, your grandkids are called to go. Easy? No. There's nothing easy about seeing our kids, our loved ones, now get on an airplane and not know if when we'll see them next time. But it's the right thing. It's what Jesus wants to do. He wants that none should perish, but all come to a saving knowledge. How will they know unless they're told? How will they be told unless they're sent? Beautiful are the feet of them that bring good news. Chapter and verse says, Let's raise up our children to be proclaimers of the good news of Jesus Christ. And if they'll give their life to a cause, we live in a generation of young people, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, the, the, the tag end of the millennials, wanted a cause, a purpose. That's why Black Lives Matter rose to the surface. That's why Antifa rose to the surface, because that generation is looking to, for something to grab onto. And that's not worth grabbing onto. Jesus is worth grabbing onto. Jesus is worth giving your life for.
You, we, <laughs> there will be nothing cooler than the day that I stand in heaven before Jesus and I get to introduce him to people after people after people that are there. And you know what else I, I'll get to do? I'll get to stand next to Jocelyn and go, hey, <laughs> I'm there because of her. And I'll get a stand before all the other students have got to go because, because I helped them get there. Now that'll be a great day. Who do you get a stand next to? Grandma, grandpa, mom, dad. Wouldn't it be fun to stand next to Jesus as your child is introducing you to people after people after people that know Jesus and are in heaven because you said, come on, let's do this. Those are good goals. A big house, a big paycheck, that'll burn up in the fire. But those kids standing next to you in line with Jesus will not fade away. It's worth, it's worth moving our students that way. So, Romans 8.37 says, no, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angel nor ruler, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, when I graduated from Northwest, I was a youth pastor over in Spokane, at Southside Assembly in Spokane. Now, it was a small church, 31 people. I was a single guy. This was back in 1983. That's right, 19, not 2000, but 1983. And youth pastoring was not that common in the first place, and you never hired a single male just didn't happen. So I had to talk Pastor Bailey into hiring me, even though he had no money to hire me. The church had just gone through a split, was destroyed, 31 people the first Sunday I was there. But I said, I want to be your youth pastor, not your youth worker, not just some guy that leads a group on Wednesday. I'm going to be here 40 to 60 hours a week. I'm your youth pastor. I, I can't pay you anything. I go, I don't care. I don't need money. That wasn't true, I found out later. <laughs> Good intentions don't always pay bills. But uh, um, I started being the youth pastor there, and uh, they didn't pay me the first three years. I made nothing um, from the church. They would let me buy, and once a month I could buy pizzas to feed my students. Now, the students, it started off with five, five kids in that youth group. And uh, um, they would let me buy pizzas to do a pizza party one Wednesday night a month. And they, they said that I could always buy extras. So I'd always buy like six or seven extras and I would eat pizza for, you know, like two weeks. I'd put it in the fridge and I would eat pizza until the, there was extra vegetables growing on top. Um, and then I wouldn't eat it after that or I'd scrape them off and, and eat that because I was just dirt poor. I, I lived in a trailer that cost me $75 a month and I couldn't come up with $75 all at once. So um, I would pay it, pay it in two installments. Every two weeks I, I, I paid my landlord. And uh, in the winter, 
like this over in Spokane when it would get cold. Um, I had a waterbed and I couldn't sleep on the waterbed because it'd freeze solid because I'd turn the electricity off in the furnace because I couldn't afford to run it. So it'd freeze solid. I'd sleep on my couch in a mummy bag and I would take my hair dryer, warm up the mummy, mummy bag. One, I'd stay at the church till like 11 o'clock and then come home, jump in the mummy bag, warm it up with the hair dryer. And I was perfectly, you know, wake up in the morning and it, there's frost you know, on the inside of it from my, the condensation and stuff like that. But I loved, I loved doing life that way. It was, it was, it was awesome. <laughs> God took care of me. Obviously, I'm alive today. He supplied all of my needs. Not necessarily how I, I, I would have liked to live in a different, you know, income bracket, but he took care of me. One of the things he did to take care of me was he, he introduced me to a friend, a very good friend that has been become a lifelong friend. He was a lieutenant out at Fairchild Air Force Base, a navigator, and so he made a, a fairly good living, but um, he would take me skiing. I didn't have to pay. We went to Nelson, B.C. One, one weekend, and we were in a room with, um, we'd taken some friends with us, and this one friend is banging on my door in the middle of the night, and she goes, Steve, there's demons in my room. I don't know what to do. And so I said, okay, you stay here. I'll go in your room because nothing can stand against me, right? I'm not afraid of a demon. Greater is he who is in me than he is in the world. So I went in there and went to sleep. I did. I just went to sleep. Get up the next morning, and, and this gal is telling me all about it. I'm going, man, I didn't see none of that. All I know is I walked in and said, hey, Satan, I'm here. Get out. And I went to bed. We were down in Mexico, and uh, we were doing an outreach, and, and we had about... 350 student, or young people, children, and we're doing this presentation. We've got the speed the light generator running, and we've got the microphones going, and all of a sudden the generator goes and stops. So no more sound. And once the sound went away, in the back of the park that we were at, we hear this woman just screaming her brains out, just screaming and ugly ugly words it, and it turns out she's a witch and the whole time we're there she's trying to cast spells on us and my leadership we for the first time see that and they begin to freak out and I go no we don't worry about that greater is he who is in us we just pray against that and go get a can of gas and fire the generator back up let's go and we saw hundreds of kids get saved that day because we put Jesus first in the process Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not demon, not nothing, except for one thing. One thing can separate us. You know what the one thing is? You. You can separate yourself from Jesus. Your choice. Serving Jesus is up to you to follow him. We need to put in our world the Word of God and the Holy Spirit and let them hold us up, manage us, push us along. God has called us with a purpose. We need to 
place the word of God in our heart, hide behind it, gain from it, move forward in it, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us so that nothing separates us. This world, this town of Moses Lake needs you to be spirit-filled. Why are we spirit-filled? So that we can be his witnesses, Acts 1-8, the only reason that the Spirit was sent, Jesus' own words. He said, I'll send the Holy Spirit so that you can be my witness. Not so you can speak in tongues, not so you can prophesy, not so. It's so that you can be his witness. So go be filled with the Spirit. Take the good news of Jesus Christ. Be in the Word every day and let him lead you and guide you. And that's what needs to happen in our world. I want to thank you for the many years that you've supported us. I want to thank you for allowing me to be a missionary, to follow what God's called us to do. But my encouragement as I close is this. Will you consider giving an offering of your children, of your young people? Will you challenge, put that challenge before them going, God, they're yours. Use them as you see fit. He has a purpose and a plan for them. The world needs them to be the light that shines brightly. Jeffrey.